Brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen, but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated. One of the highlights of this week for me was going with my family to eat at La Madeleine for dinner, which uh, is a chain of French restaurants in, in the United States. It, it's almost like being get? there. It had a chicken crepe. Oh, that sounds lovely. And one of my daughters had a grilled cheese sandwich. They really don't vary the children's menu much in American <laughs> restaurants. Hello, and welcome back to Bloomberg Benchmark, a show about the global economy. I'm Scott Landman, an economics editor with Bloomberg News in Washington. And I'm Kate Smith, an editor with Bloomberg in New York. So, Kate, are are you much of a Francophile? Um, you know, I've never actually been to France, which is a little embarrassing. Wow. I know, right? But I think everything I've heard about French culture, I don't see why I wouldn't like it. You know, like the baguettes, the coffees, the striped shirts, the berets. It seems yeah, wonderful. There's a lot to like there. There's a lot to like. I, I've been <laughs> I've been to France once just for a couple of days, but I, I don't speak French and you know, one of the highlights of this week for me was going with my family to eat at La Madeleine for dinner, which uh, is a chain of French restaurants in, in the United States. It, it's almost what did like you being get? there. I had a chicken crepe. Oh, that sounds lovely. And one of my daughters had a grilled cheese sandwich. They really don't vary the children's menu much in American <laughs> restaurants. That sounds a lot better than the, the sad desk salad that's awaiting me in a few minutes after <laughs> this. Well, anyway, that kind of leads into our topic for today. You know, you go back to June of this year, the voters of the United Kingdom gave us Brexit. Then Americans decided to elect Donald Trump as president. Now, over the next few months, the world is going to turn its eyes to France, and they already are in some ways. It's it's the sixth biggest economy in the world and the third largest in Europe. And it's where a rising anti-establishment anti-immigrant movement is threatening to deliver another blow to those smug global elites who think they know it all. Oh, man, the, the smug global elites, right, Scott? <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, gonna, man. They got it coming again. I know, I know. It's not just the coastal elites this time. It's the global elites. All right. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, it's true, though. Populist anti-immigrant movements are really, they're really gaining a lot of traction across Europe. And in France, the National Front, and that's led by Le Pen, a 48-year-old lawyer by training. She's one of the prime examples. She's pledged that if she's elected president, she would take the country out of the European Union and the euro currency and resurrect France's borders. Economic conditions in France are are running in her favor. You've got unemployment around 10%, which is close to a record high. The nation's reeling from a series of terror attacks over the past year. The migrant crisis is straining Europe. Although even with those things, she still isn't actually favored to win the French election. But then again, neither were the pro-Brexit crowd or Trump. And, you know, here's another great parallel. Le Pen is an, another admirer of Russian President Vladimir Putin, just like Trump. And both have expressed doubts about climate change being caused by humans. Le Pen has called globalization, and I quote, another kind of totalitarianism. Joining us now to explain the situation in France is Nicolas Veron, a former French government advisor who's a scholar at both the Bruegel think tank in Brussels and the Peterson Institute for International Economics in Washington. He joins us from neither of those cities, but actually is in London and stopped by our office today. Nicholas, thanks for coming on our show. 
Thanks for having me. So can you first tell us a bit about how the, the National Front got started and how Marine Le Pen has gone from someone at the fringes to someone with what seems like a legitimate chance of becoming France's leader? I think in comparison with Brexit and Trump, I think it's important to get the right perspective of time. And the National Front is not a new movement. It didn't appear in the last few years, uh, let alone the last few months. It's been around for more than 30 years, very prominent in the French political landscape, uh, founded by Marine Le Pen's father, Jean-Marie Le Pen, um, who actually uh, made it into a significant political party in the early 80s. And Jean-Marie Le Pen also made it to the second round of the French presidential election in April 2002. Uh, to general surprise, he was soundly defeated in the second round by Jacques Chirac at the time. But this was a big shock, not unlike what we've seen this year in the UK and the US. So it's not like we have an entirely new phenomenon. But it is also the case that Marine Le Pen, uh, so the party founder's daughter, is a very talented politician in her own right, has built momentum for her party with strategies that are uh, that have parallels with those of her father, but also have differences. And uh, indeed, I wouldn't expect her to win the election next year, but nor did I expect Mr. Trump to win the U.S. election. So you shouldn't take my opinion for <laughs> guidance. Nicholas, let me, let's back up for just a moment. How exactly does the French presidential election work? Right. Um, so the short answer is it's a two-round election. The two rounds are separated by two weeks. So we have a first round in late April, second round in early May. And in the meantime, uh, people make up their minds uh, on how they want to vote on the second round with just two candidates. There cannot be more than two in the second round. Uh, in the first round, there can be many candidates. And we don't know yet exactly how many, but it's probably a dozen or more. Uh, so the, the saying in France is, in the first round, people choose whoever they like most. In the second round, they uh, eliminate whoever they <laughs> like least. Uh, and I think this is likely to apply to the election next year, even so there are also strategic uh, French voters, typically uh, very uh, politically aware. So there some will also have tactical or strategic considerations in their voting patterns because they want this or that candidate to make it to the second round rather than uh, the ones they prefer in absolute terms. And is that, is that a straight popular vote in, in both rounds nationwide? Yeah, I think only the U.S. has this, uh, you know, very bizarre uh, system with <laughs> electoral college. Uh, for the first time ever, we have primaries both for the mainstream central right party and for the mainstream central left parties. Now, this process of primaries is uh, unprecedented uh, being on the two sides and means that uh, there are actually multiple scenarios for the election because, uh, believe it or not, there are two rounds of voting for each of the primaries, so two rounds for the central right, two rounds for the central left, and all these are national votes. Uh, so we'll get uh, six rounds of voting before we know the name of the president, which means that uh, it's very difficult to predict exactly what the uh, equation will be for French voters. Uh, there is also 
an expectation that important candidates may pop up who are neither the centre-right winner of the primary nor the centre-left winner of the primary nor Mrs. Le Pen. For example, Emmanuel Macron, a former economics minister, is a young, extremely talented politician who is fairly disruptive and has just announced a candidacy of his own. And frankly, he has a chance to make it uh, to the second round uh, on current expectations. So this is a very unpredictable election. Lots of resentment against the establishment. Also lots of fear of chance in France and ambiguity about chance, a change in uh, globalization, the, the European environment, and social and economic dynamics in France itself. Uh, very difficult to know what will come out of it. So just to clarify, Nicolas, so exactly what has to happen for Le Pen herself to win? I mean, so there's obviously no electoral college, and it's just, it's just a simple popular vote? And that can win the election? And who uh, does it depend on who the opponent is, too? Yeah. Like, could she actually win if there's a weak opponent, or is it likely to produce the strongest opponent? Yeah, so she will be the candidate of her party, the National Front, in the first round. There will be, as I said, a number of other candidates in the first round. And on current polling, uh, to be confirmed, of course, don't believe the polls, uh, she is likely to make it to the second round and in the second round to face off whoever comes first or second in the second round. Uh, uh, so has a plurality of votes apart from the votes she would get. In 2002, uh, Jacques Chirac, who was a sort of mainstream central right incumbent, defeated her father by, I think, more than 80% of the vote. Uh, this time, the expectation is that she probably cannot make it to more than 50% in the second round, but she might make a very strong showing uh, in that round of voting and therefore lots of uncertainty. Uh, it's going to be uh, really interesting to watch. Uh, we're going to take a break right now for a word from our sponsor. And when we're back, we're going to talk more about the impacts on the economy and the Eurozone. <laughs> Brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen, but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated. Welcome back. Nicholas, I want to ask you now to talk about more of the economic issues. Uh, you know, you have people of the UK voting to leave the European Union. Uh, you know, you had Greece hang in the balance uh, w with its fate in the Eurozone for the last several years. What, what would happen to the Euro and the European Union if Mrs. Le Pen won the election? Well, first, even so, six rounds of voting to get to the knowing our president sounds like a lot. It's not the end of the sequence because after the presidential election, you will have a parliamentary election and that will actually determine the majority in parliament and therefore the government, including the prime minister, which is in, in the French system is a separate person from the president. So even if Mrs. Le Pen uh, wins as president, it's not to be taken for granted that she will have a majority in parliament. So she'll have major checks on her power if, if she were to win as president. Well, if, it depends on the result of the parliamentary election. If she wins the presidency <laughs> and also gets a majority for her party, 
in the parliament, then she wouldn't have many checks. She would be very powerful. But if she wins the presidency and doesn't win a majority in parliament, then it's not even clear that she will have that much of an impact on policy. Well, what's a greater chance right now, winning the presidency or National Front getting a majority in parliament? I think she has a much greater chance of winning the presidency than of controlling parliament. But frankly, it's so unprecedented, uh, the idea of uh, the National Front, a far-right party, non-mainstream, winning the presidency that we just don't know. And so I'm not aware of any reliable polling on the parliamentary election at this point. Uh, they will probably come later in the election cycle. But even assuming that she would... Uh, which I think is not very likely, but not impossible, that she would control parliament and therefore be able to govern on her platform. It's not even clear in that uh, assumption that she would get France out of the Eurozone, because what she's now saying is that she would seek a concerted dismantling of the Eurozone, but by common agreement of the different Eurozone countries. In uh, other terms, she's not advocating a unilateral withdrawal of France. Now, this is very ambiguous. No, no Frexit, in other words. Well, exactly. <laughs> Basically, uh, uh, a commonly agreed breakup, but not uh, a withdrawal just of France. So uh, she, basically what she's saying is uh, my leadership will allow me to convince all the other European member states, including Germany, that the euro is really a bad idea and should be ditched. Now, the likelihood of this happening obviously is very low because in most Eurozone member states, there is a very strong support for the euro. I was yesterday in Portugal. In, uh, in Portugal, believe it or not, after a Troika program and a lot of economic hardship in the last few years, support for staying in the Eurozone is more than 90%. Uh, and that's not too unusual uh, in uh, many European member states, including Greece. You have very strong majorities to keep the euro. And that's the case in France as well. So people like Le Pen, uh, no, a number of people like Le Pen as an anti-establishment figure. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they take her anti-euro rhetoric seriously, let alone literally. Well, let's uh, let's take another step back and talk about some of the uh, challenges that France's economy faces. What what kind of uh, situation is it in? You know, what what kind of challenges does it have that are unique to the nation? And and what does France face that that has proved in common with with the, uh, much of the rest of Europe? You know, France is a bit of a middle of the road country in the eurozone. It's not the worst performer. It's not the best. It it doesn't have problems that are unique. It has problems that are shared by a number of other member states, uh, low productivity growth, uh, lots of rigidities in the economy, not least the labor market, but also the goods and services markets, not enough competition, not enough uh, entry of fast-growing firms into established markets, um, and, uh, and also rigidities in society, uh, difficulty for people to, you know, uh, upward social mobility is not what it should be. Even so, actually, income inequality is much lower than in, uh, say, the U.S. or the U.K. and hasn't been growing. Uh, and that makes France a bit of an outlier indeed, including in uh, the continental European context, hasn't been growing in the last few years. So it needs... Reform. It needs more growth. Uh, it needs uh, an economic system that is more friendly to investment and uh, corporate development and innovation. But I would say none of these problems is extremely acute. So it's more like a, a chronic condition, if you will, of insufficient dynamism and insufficient economic vitality. 
uh, risers and of specific issues that is very, very prominent uh, and uh, specific to that country. We're talking now about just over a year after the terrible incident at the Bataclan in Paris, and there have been uh, several others, like the one in Nice over the past year. Has has that affected people's mindset, uh, you know, both from a political and economic standpoint? It has affected the economy because it has affected tourism. Um, external per- perceptions obviously matter in this area. Domestically, I think it has added to a sense of gloom and it has added to the uh, unpopularity of the uh, government because there has been a feeling after several of these attacks, including the one on July 14th this year in Nice, that the government wasn't doing everything possible to protect the people against this sort of uh, uh, assault. So, um, so it has added to the negativity of public feeling in France. I wouldn't necessarily say it has created a whole different political dynamic of its own. Uh, in a way, it has only reinforced skepticism that was already present in the population before this wave of attacks started in uh, January 2015. Now, looking at the the rest of Europe, uh, or maybe just uh, next door at Germany, which uh, is also uh, moving to elections, Chancellor Merkel's reputation has taken something of a hit, uh, or, or popularity, I guess, because of the refugee situation. What, what's the state of the movement toward populism? And uh, it, you know, are we going to have a similar conversation about Germany next year? I don't think so, frankly. I think the political equations in Germany are very different from what they are in France. And as I mentioned before, the National Front in France is not a new phenomenon. It's been around for more than a generation uh, as a strong national uh, protest party. There is nothing comparable in Germany. There is a new party, the Alternative for Germany, that is polling uh, about what the National Front was making in France 30 years ago but it's far from uh, being contemplating a position of national power. And therefore, I think there is a bit of an easy parallel to make in terms of populism uh, gaining everywhere. The reality is that the political prospects are very different from one European country to another. And there is nothing comparable to the possibility of Marine Le Pen being president in France. There is nothing comparable to that in Germany at this point. Nicholas, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really interesting and fascinating conversation. And thanks a lot for having me. All right. Benchmark will be back next week. And until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com, as well as on iTunes, Pocket Casts, and Stitcher. While you're there, take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And let us know what you thought of the show. You can talk to us and follow us at Twitter. Uh, you can find Scott at Scott Landman. You can find me at by Kate Smith. And our guest Nicholas is on as well. And you can find him at Nicholas underscore Vernon. And that's V-E-R-O-N. Veron. Veron, exactly. <laughs> Everything's better in French. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. See you next time. Brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen, but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated.